You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in the third week of our series, Christian or Not, and uh, I have absolutely loved this series. And one of the reasons I've loved it is because every week I've got to share a story from my childhood with you guys. Now, the first two weeks I shared very traumatic stories with you. And if you were here, you know that both of those weeks, I don't know why, but they included raisins. You know what I mean? Like the first week was I got fooled. I have trust issues because I thought a chocolate chip cookie was a chocolate chip cookie and it was a raisin cookie. Uh, The second week, it was about going trick-or-treating when I was a kid and somebody gave me raisins instead of candy. Uh, If you want to be able to witness to your neighbors and let them know you love Jesus, don't give the kids raisins when they go trick-or-treating, okay, y'all? Like, like get some candy. Amen, y'all? Come on, man. Somebody back me up here. Like, don't do that. The kid's over here. Yeah, amen, bro. Thank you. I'll pay you after the service. So, yeah. Yeah, but that's, man, get some candy, man. I know you want kids to be healthy and everything, but come on. Well, I'm going to share a story about my childhood that maybe some people in here can relate to because you did the same thing. It's not traumatic. It's actually some good memories I have about my childhood. When I was a kid, I had a bike. I had two bikes when I was a kid. And the one I got was a white bike that I had from the time that I was probably eight or nine years old until I turned 16 and I started driving. And uh, I had to learn how to change the tires on it, and I rode that bike everywhere. I had to learn how to change the chain on it, fix it up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I rode my neighborhood, like, all over the place on this bike. Well, because I rode my bike everywhere, inevitably... Uh, what would end up happening is me and my buddies would end up finding scrap wood and boards at their houses and at my house, or we'd find some behind a grocery store or something like that. And you know what's coming? You know what we do with that scrap wood? We would build a makeshift ramp. Anybody ever do that when you were a kid? Okay, something like this. Go ahead and put that first picture up. Something like that. Y'all know what I'm saying? And we'd go ramping over it. Now, We would also, in order to up the ante, do things like this. Maybe you can relate to this, okay? Go ahead and put that second one up, guys. Uh, Maybe you had your friends lay down (laughs) underneath the ramp, and you tried to see how many of your friends you could jump. Well, inevitably, what ended up happening as a result of our foolishness is we would crash and burn, so to speak, Uh, we would end up getting bloody knees and bloody elbows because the the ramps that we made couldn't hold up. We would land on top of each other or something crazy would happen. Y'all know what I'm saying, okay? Just about everybody in here, hopefully you did that when you were a kid. Well, we're in the third week of this Christian or Not series, and what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at different religions, uh, doctrines, and belief systems and asking the question, is this Christian? Is this biblical? Or is it not? The first two weeks, we took a look at two religions, Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses, that where we landed was they're completely unchristian. They do not fall in the lines of orthodoxy. More on that in a minute. And what we're going to do this week and next week is we're going to talk about people that might be Christians. They've just built a wonky ramp. And and they're going to crash and they're going to burn because... They probably agree with us on the main beliefs, but they've got some doctrines that they're way off on. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. 
Uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. And just to give you the context of the book of Timothy leading up to chapter 6, uh, it's really a book of instruction for the early church. Paul, writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of this church, so far leading up to chapter 6 of Timothy, has given correction and instruction on apostasy that's taking place in the church. Uh, he's given correction on church members that were in error in the church. Uh, the church was not doing a good job dealing with the widows in the church, and so Paul is giving instruction and correction on the handling of widows. There's a section where uh, the church was doing a poor job at selecting elders and pastors, and Paul gives some correction and instruction on how to choose elders and how to choose pastors. And in chapter 6 and the couple of verses preceding where we're going to start today in verse 3, Paul actually gives some instruction and correction on slaves and masters and how they interact. Now, the scripture we're going to look at today, what Paul is going to deal with is he's going to give that correction and that instruction on what's known as heretical preachers. Now, the main word in the word heretical is the word heresy. And the definition of heresy, this may sound familiar. We haven't used this word up to this point, but it's the same thing we're talking about. The definition of heresy is a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox Christian doctrine. We're going to explain this in a minute, but if you remember the first two weeks, we talked about orthodoxy. In other words, those, those foundational Christian beliefs that the church has taught since the beginning and the inception of the church, that if someone falls outside those beliefs, uh, they fall outside of Christianity. So let's start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's start in verse 3. We're going to go to verse 10. We're going to stop along the way. I'm going to try to do justice to this passage and not take it out of context and uh, set everything up well. Y'all ready? Say, I am. Verse 3, Paul writes this to Timothy. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. Verse 3, if anyone teaches... Now, let me make a distinction really fast that the New Testament makes to make sure you understand this. And, and I'm going to make this because we've got to be very careful of something. The New Testament clearly teaches that there are false teachers... People that teach things that are wrong. And when it talks about false teachers, they clearly do not know God and they clearly are not saved. It doesn't talk about the listeners of that false teaching in the same way. What you find in the New Testament is, at least the way I read it, is potentially the people at that church that had some false teachers that were lost were really saved. They were just getting sucked in to the bad theology and the bad doctrine, if that makes sense. So if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. Paul says that make sure that there is sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about here are those orthodox beliefs, the orthodoxy, those six pillars that we've identified every single week that are the things that we believe in Christianity, that if you fall outside of these beliefs, you most likely fall outside of Christianity. Let me run through those real quick with you. We've got them for the screen so you can snap a picture. If you haven't been here every week uh, to get these, then we've got all of them on one uh, slide for you. Number one, the view of the Bible. Christians believe in a closed canon of Scripture, which means we don't add to it, we don't take away from it, and we don't reinterpret it. 
In other words, it's closed. Uh, Our view of God, uh, we believe God is the uncreated creator. He's eternal. Our view of Jesus, Jesus is the son of God, the second part of the Trinity. And by the way, Jesus is the cornerstone. So if you get Jesus wrong, all the rest of your theology falls apart. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Okay, I said in the first week, it's like playing Jenga and pulling from the bottom. It doesn't go well, okay? Jesus is the cornerstone, so you've got to get that right. Uh, What we believe about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third part of the Trinity. He shares all the attributes of deity, and he's one with the Father and Son. Also, what we've established through looking at Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses is uh, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. Okay, we've talked about like, don't refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. That's a bad translation. If you do that, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying it's a very bad translation. In the Greek, the word is pneuma, which means breath. And the best translation we have is spirit. So Holy Ghost makes us think of like a force like in Star Wars that turns the lights off and on in our house. You know what I'm saying? We've got to recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person because when you recognize that, you'll realize you can have a personal relationship with him. That's been very important that we've unpacked. Uh, Our view of salvation is grace through faith, and our view of the afterlife, it's binary. It's heaven and hell. Now, what Paul is talking about in these first few verses is he's clearly speaking about those heretics, those people that are teaching things that fall outside of what Christianity believes, outside of those orthodox beliefs. But just as important to recognize, and we've got to be very careful of this, Paul is not referring to Christians that just have some bad doctrinal views. Okay, We've got to be very careful with the accusation of calling someone a false teacher or a heretic or someone is not a Christian because of something they believe. We've got to be very careful when we lob those accusations around because Paul is not talking about uh, bad teachers uh, or, or Christians that just believe in some bad theology. He's talking about false teachers. See, uh, false teachers knowingly teach things that are against the Scripture and that are heresy. Bad teachers, which, by the way, I think the majority of pastors, Sunday school teachers, Uh, Many different people, they just regurgitate kind of what they've heard as they grow up and they preach the way that they've heard as they grow up and they don't really know what they believe about certain things. They're just regurgitating. In other words, bad teachers aren't false teachers. That Bad teachers accidentally and unknowingly teach bad doctrine. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. And so it's not that bad teachers or believers that believe certain doctrines aren't Christians. Be very careful. False teachers, heretics, teach this stuff. See, the problem with false teaching is, well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that anyone can take a scripture out of context to make it agree with whatever they want to believe in? You ever noticed that before? I mean, if you take something out of context in the Bible, you can find a scripture to support whatever it is you're trying to to justify. And so that means that the issue with false teaching is, is that the Bible is used out of context to legitimize false teaching. This is why we're doing this series. This is why we've been talking about how some of us need to go from milk. Okay. Milk is great. Okay. I love chocolate milk. Amen, y'all. Milk's great. 
But some of us need to go to the meat. You need to know your Bible. You need to know theology. And you need to know what you believe. Because sometimes people actually take Bible verses to legitimize a certain belief. Case in point, let me give you an example. This will get your attention. If you're about to fall asleep, you're about to wake up. As you know, in the last two months, abortion has been a big issue in America. And it's, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that it was up to the states whether or not people can have abortions. Well, the state of California is a place where anyone can have an abortion at any time. They have very liberal laws. And in order to reach people in states that are more conservative where abortion is not allowed, they put billboards up all around the country that say this, okay, need an abortion? California is ready to help. Visit, and they've got the website to learn more. And then underneath this, y'all, there's a Bible verse. Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command than these. This is why you got to know Scripture. Because someone is taking a verse out of context to legitimize the slaughter of the unborn in America. Wiping out entire generations, millions of lives that have been murdered in the name of convenience. You read the scripture, you find very clearly, okay, I'm not trying to be political, I'm just being truthful. This is a truth issue. You find very clearly, very clearly, that life begins in the womb, and that abortion is absolutely wrong, and it is murderous, and this is demonic. Everybody okay? Say amen. amen. I'm coming out of the gate strong. I'm going hard in the paint today. I'm telling you, man, hey, I'll just be honest with you. I watched an interview with a guy named Kanye West. He changed his name to Yee, and I'll be honest with you. He spoke more truth boldly than most pastors do in America today. I was really convicted. I was like, he's a, he sat there and said, I'm playing for an audience of one. I don't care what people think. I'm standing for truth. I'm just, he's kind of weird, okay? He's got some issues, but so do you. You know what I mean? You, you ain't Billy Graham Jr. or Beth Moore Jr. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, get over yourself. He's got some issues, but, but he spoke out boldly. Man, this is wrong. Completely wrong. That's just such, so bad. It, it should infuriate you as a believer, if you know your Bible. So we got to know Scripture. Uh, Paul says that make sure that they follow sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he describes them in two different ways if they don't. Number one, he says they're conceited. In other words, they reject the authority of Scripture. Does this sound familiar to the first two weeks? Uh, they minimize the authority of Scripture and its use. Or they twist what it means and pull it out of context. The word conceited that's used in this verse is the same word that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 that describes young believers that are given too much authority, specifically talking about uh, make sure you test them before you make them an elder or a pastor or they will become conceited. They'll have a lofty view of themselves and their own ideas and they won't care what anybody says or what anything says, including the Scripture. These people, number two, the second attribute are people that understand nothing. Despite them having a lofty view of themselves, they understand nothing. An tra English translation of this would be, they know nothing. So Paul is describing these heretics and these false teachers as people that are full of themselves, but they don't know jack squat. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Now you're going to see how they get away with this because let's see 
what their teaching consists of. It says this, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. So Paul here is telling us what their teaching consists of. And this is so basic and so real. It consists of controversial questions, philosophical investigations is what Paul is talking about. Or, or maybe you've heard it this way. We're going to preach and talk about the deeper things of God. The mysteries of God. The, the things that you don't understand because you don't have the spiritual gifts that I have. And I'm going to get control over your life because I'm the weirdo that has a relationship with God that you can't have. And it's at a different level than your relationship. Is everybody with me? Say amen. We've all seen it. We've all heard it from pulpits. We've all seen it on Instagram. We've all seen it on TV. The mysteries. Y'all want to know what the mystery is? You want to know as deep as you can get when it comes to the mysteries of God? Listen to Colossians chapter 1. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Here it is. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It doesn't get any deeper than Jesus, y'all. And there are some Christian denominations, teachers that want you to think, oh, the gospel, well, that's milk. Come over here and I'll teach you about the, the meat. Come over here and we'll have these certain spiritual gifts. And we'll do these certain things that you've never seen before. No, no, no. Be really careful. It doesn't get any deeper than Jesus. It says they have quarrels about words. What this phrase means when it describes their teaching is this is actually an insult. It means that they have word fights. What Paul is saying is these teachers look like idiots. They look silly. The word picture is imagine two kids looking at each other and one looks at the other and says, I know you are, but what am I? And the other looks at the other and says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the idea that Paul is giving here. I'll never forget when I went to Bible college, there were two pastors that came to debate each other about baptismal regeneration. And I remember then thinking to myself, what is the big deal about this? Are they doing anything for the kingdom? What, 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 what is the point? They, it's like two kids fighting over meaningless genealogies, as the New Testament puts it, instead of keeping the main thing the main thing. That's what their teaching consists of. Now look at what their teaching results in. Everybody still with me? Say amen. And this is where we're going to get into the meat of the teaching. And I'm just going to make everybody mad, okay? So it'll, it'll be good. Look at your neighbor and say, we're about to be mad, okay? Because I'm about to blow up some of the things you've been taught and maybe you believed, okay? So maybe consider over these next 10 or 15 minutes that God wants to mold and shape you and correct some things in your life. Let's take a look. It says that, that result... And so these are the results of their teaching that result in, and he names five things, envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think, and here's the key phrase, it's found at the end of this verse, godliness is a means to financial gain. 
Paul names off five Christian and church-killing activities, which, by the way, most of them are included in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, when Paul talks about people that have been given over to a debased mind. The phrase that he really hones in on is people that think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Y'all, we live... I know I just went on an old man rant about that billboard from California, but in spite of all of our shortcomings in America, I really do believe that we live uh, in the greatest nation in the world. I really do. I believe that in America, uh, we've got it better than anywhere else in the world. Uh, We are a country that innovates constantly. Uh, We are a country that in the name of innovation, we have convenience and, and life is easier and And I believe in capitalism because capitalism leads to consumerism, uh, which means people are constantly building better mousetraps because that's how they're going to make money and and get ahead and different things like that. And I think that as a result of that, we in America have the greatest technology that the world has ever known. Uh, We've got some of the greatest healthcare advances that the world has ever known. Uh, We are more connected than we've ever been as a result of the innovations that we've made. Uh, Even entertainment is like so much better than it's ever been. The products that we consume are just amazing. I'll prove it to you. Uh, I was looking at an Instagram page that was all about the 70s and 80s, and it reminded me of some things that we used to do that I believe have gotten better as time has went on and innovation has happened. Uh, Put that first picture up, guys. Does anybody remember doing this when you were a kid? Uh, if, if we get it up there, is it frozen? Are we good? Remember doing that when you were a kid? Remember when you were in class or you were at home and the way you entertained yourself was you stuck? And my mom always told me I was going to get AIDS and die. You know what I mean? Like, anybody else's parents do that? You know what I'm saying? I think maybe we've got some better things to do today for kids to entertain themselves. Uh, hit the next one. Anybody have one of these in their house? Anybody have a furnace in their house? And if you've still got one in your house, that's totally fine, no big deal. But I had a friend who had a furnace in his house, and when the heat came on, you could not touch that grate because it got so hot. I think now, because of innovation and technology, uh, we have figured out ways that are much more uh, comprehensive and much safer to heat our homes. I'm sure you would agree with that. Uh, Hit the next one, please, guys. Anybody mow the yard with this bad boy? Raise your hand if you ever mowed the yard with it. Yeah, look at the hands, man. I never mowed the yard with this, but I thought I had it tough because I had a non-self-propelled push mower on an acre of grass. Okay, y'all? And I remember, I I would say that our innovation has gotten better with mowing grass. I love mowing the grass now. I get on my riding lawnmower, I put my earbuds in. It's the only time the kids don't come near me, and that's why I'll stay out there and go over the grass like three times because everybody leaves me alone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Like, it's fun now to mow grass. You know what I mean? It's awesome. And this was not fun, right? Hit the next one. Hit the next one. Remember texting in the 80s? That's how we stayed connected, y'all. You know what I mean? I think we have better ways to communicate now that are a little easier. The next one, guys, please. Remember records? Yeah. Some of y'all are like, oh, records. 
records sound the best. Yeah, they're all scratchy and weird. You know what I mean? Like, my wife collects records. She has a record player. Nothing wrong if you like records, but I got to tell you, I really like having all my music on one app on my phone. It's all in HD. It all sounds amazing, and it's at the push of the button anytime I want. It's great innovation, right? Go to the next one, guys, please. Remember snow, snow socks when you were a kid? Anybody remember that? Yeah. So I grew up in, in uh, Knoxville in the inner city, so rich kids use bread bags. We use grocery bags on our feet. I don't know if you were like that, but uh, yeah, yeah. I would say that we've got some better options today than we did 30, 40, 50 years ago. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like we've got some better clothing options and shoes are better and socks are better and so on and so forth. Hit the next one, guys, please. Hit the next one. Remember when you had to take your, your film for your camera? Y'all remember this? And like I remember when I was a kid, you'd have to wait like a month to get your pictures back. But then they came out with, we'll get it done in a week. And then they came out with 48 hours, we'll develop your film. And then 24 hours, and then we'll develop your film in an hour. Remember how excited we were? We can get our film developed in an hour. Oh, my goodness. And now it's gotten so much better. You can put a filter on it. You can make yourself look skinny. You can do whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? On your phone. Things have gotten, like they've innovated, and they've gotten better. Uh, hit the next one, please. Hit the next one. Remember when all coaches dressed like this? I mean, they'd get arrested. They'd be on the sex predator list. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would submit to you that potentially things have gotten better nowadays because coaches don't dress like this. They have other options available. Everybody with me? Say amen. amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Young folks don't even know how scarred we are, do they, y'all? Like, they don't even know, man. I remember that. I remember that. Hit the next one, please. Anybody remember these? How many of y'all know what that is? Raise your hand. Rabbit ears, right? You had to put them on your TV. My parents would make me, if it was like the end of a show, my parents would make me stand wherever the picture was best. Y'all remember for five minutes, you know? Young, young people, y'all don't know, man, how good you got it. You don't know. Yeah, I'm the old man. Get off my lawn, but I'm telling you. I'm telling you, you put tinfoil on that bad boy. Anybody remember that? Like, back in the day. Well, just like rabbit ears with a TV that have to be adjusted, to where we can see the picture clearly. In Christianity, we have to make sure that we are keeping the picture clear. And sometimes there needs to be an adjustment to make sure that the vision that God gave us through his word is what we're seeing in our teaching. See, culture inevitably affects any belief system. And American culture has absolutely affected Christianity and how it's taught and how it's practiced in America. And it's led to what I refer to as the Americanized gospel. A gospel that we don't even really mean to do this. We just do it because it's what we do. We innovate, right? We make things easier. It's all about consumerism. And we tell you you'll have a better life and a more convenient life. And, and we've, we've figured out a way to follow Jesus that's easier. And in the name of innovation, we're going to create and teach about a maintenance-free Jesus that you can follow. See, 
Paul here is warning against a religion of business. Okay, you've heard people say before that the church is a business, and that's not true. Now, there are wisdom principles that you should use in business that churches use. I agree with that, but the church is not a business. And Paul is saying, be careful with the idea of innovating the gospel, of of trying to make something better when the way it was is exactly how it should be. This comes about really in two different ways in America. First, it comes about in something that I'm sure you've heard of. Many people are very strong in their stance. It's either black or white to them, but it comes out in the way of what's known as the prosperity gospel in America, which is really where it really exploded in America. The prosperity gospel is defined as this, believing that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for you, and faith and positive speech and donations to religious causes will increase your material wealth. Behind the prosperity gospel, every motivation is for material goods and consumerism. Now, prosperity is in the scriptures. You can't deny that. You know, you give and it will be given back to you, pressed down, uh, shaken together, right? I get that. But I would say this weekend to you that the reason God would bless you is not so that you can buy a Lamborghini and your next Rolex. It's so that you can be more generous and you can expand the kingdom even further because of your resources and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And we're going to see this later in this scripture. Let me just ask you a question. The person that we're trying to emulate more than anyone is Jesus Christ. Look at his life. Was he rich? No. Did he have relational strain with people? Yeah, constantly. Did Jesus have physical problems? Remember when he was crucified on the cross? He didn't get out of that one, did he? He prayed specifically to get out of it if it was God's will, and he didn't. Did Jesus have emotional and mental anguish? Remember when he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane? How ridiculous is it to think that God wants you to be healthy? He wants you to be wealthy? All you got to do is say the words and you can be healed? It's not scriptural at all. See, this belief is dangerous, this prosperity gospel, because It leads to looking for fulfillment in material things instead of Jesus, but it also leads to people thinking, well, I've not been prosperous, I've not been healed, so Jesus must not love me. Maybe I don't have the right kind of faith because I'm not rich yet. My cancer didn't come back that it was gone. So maybe the problem is my faith and there's something wrong with me and God wants to reject me and I didn't have enough faith. And and then even more destructive is this idea of, well, if you're not prosperous, if you didn't get healed, if your life is not perfect, then what it means is you must ascend in some way and you must be hiding something. You know what that is when we teach or churches teach that if, if... If something wrong is going in your life, God's punishing you every single time. God does that, but not every single time. You know what that is? That's karma, y'all. 
That's religious karma. You do something bad, something bad happens to you. When biblically, again, did Jesus ever do anything wrong? No, he was perfect. Did anything bad happen to him? Yeah. The second one is the most dangerous one. And this is the one that I think unknowingly and being even unaware that we're doing it, we teach in the church in America, and that is what I refer to as the me-centered gospel. The me-centered gospel is thinking that the message at the center of, go- of the gospel is not Christ, but it's me. It's all about me. God loves me. When somebody takes a picture of you with a group of people, and you see the picture for the first time, Who's the first person you look for, y'all? Yourself. Most of y'all don't even look at everybody else. You're checking yourself out, finding out, like, is my hair good? Is my makeup good? Do I look ratchet in this picture? Like, what's going on here? Like, I want to make sure I'm looking good, right? We can't help but focus on ourselves. This comes out in so many different ways in the church in America, even something as simple as, the pictures that we have of Jesus that have been painted over the centuries. Every culture has made Jesus look like them instead of what he really looked like. For instance, uh, put that first picture up. This is a picture of Jesus that was probably in everybody's grandparents' house growing up. Y'all know what I'm saying? My grandparents had it up in their house. uh, And it's blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. He's got the mullet, right? Business in the front, party in the back, because everybody thinks Jesus had a mullet for some reason. I don't know why. Mullets are making a comeback, though, and so are beards. And, and then probably another one of the most popular ones is this one. Go to that second one, guys. This is, again, the European version of Jesus, blonde hair, blue-eyed, blonde beard, right? Uh, kind of looks like us, you know, white guy, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, when I grew up in Knoxville in the inner city uh, in Knoxville, I went to a couple of black churches, and in black churches, some of them will actually have this depiction of Jesus. I think this is the most popular in African-American churches, there's African-American Jesus, and this is something that they look to to remember what Christ has done. I even found this picture of Jesus, which I thought was just hilarious. Go to that last one. Look at that one, man. You know, Because Jesus has got to be yoked. You know what I mean? Like, Don't even talk about the bad theology here, the fact that he's breaking the cross. No, he endured the cross for us. But like, but like this is what we want to look like. We want to be buff. We want to have abs. We want to have quads. So this is what we make Jesus to look like. What we want him to look like. Historians agree that Jesus didn't look anything like any of those pictures I just showed you. He probably looked more like this. I've got a couple of examples right here. Probably what Jesus looked like. Hit the next one. This is the more accurate one, I think, because of the nose, the hooked nose. But probably what Jesus looked like. But we can't help but try to make the gospel and Jesus look like we look it's in the songs that we sing you ever notice that it's all about us me 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 it's in the way we teach there's something known as expository preaching and exegeting a passage of scripture which is uh, trying to give the context for the scripture and the original meaning that the holy spirit meant when he wrote through someone Uh, the scripture that we're talking about, that's exegeting a scripture. But in the me-centered gospel, what we end up doing is what's called eisegeting scripture. In other words, we read ourselves into every passage of scripture. 
and we make it say things about us that aren't really there all over the place. Instagram, some of those famous preachers today, eisegete everything. They can be preaching on the virgin birth and somehow it turns into something about us. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think that was about us. Let me give you an example. Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody in here know that verse? One of the most popular verses of scripture that there is in the Bible. You probably have a plaque in your house with that verse of scripture hanging. Leave it there, okay? Based off what I'm going to say, you don't have to take it down. It's a great poetic verse of scripture. Uh, We give graduates gifts with this verse on it because it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The context of Jeremiah chapter 29 is everything leading up to it is about Israel's disobedience and God's punishment. Chapter 29 specifically is written to exiles that were in Babylon, and they were there because of their disobedience. And this verse of Scripture is pulled out of context, but it's in a promise that God is giving for restoration following judgment that God is putting on these people. Listen to the entire context of this verse of Scripture, Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So really what God was saying to his people was, wait 70 years and then I'm going to take care of you. Is that really what we're trying to say to graduates? When you're 88, boy, God's going to take care of you. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. Horrible teaching. Listen, I've got three statements for the screen. I would encourage you to take a picture of these three if you're going to take a picture of anything today. The central message of Christianity is not catering to ourselves. It's about abandoning ourselves. The Bible's message is once you meet Christ, you think of others more than you think of yourself. The gospel does not teach a self-indulging faith. It teaches a self-denying faith. When you fall into the me-centered gospel, you become completely ineffective for the kingdom because you think it's all about me. And I'm going to be honest with you, all Every single one of us have done it. You know how I know? Because I've sat on that front row before before and during worship and thought, man, I I really don't like the song we're singing. Well, nobody gives a crap because we're not singing it about you, Josh. We're singing it about him. Everybody get it? See, we've been conditioned. We want to fill the survey card out when we leave Crystal and say, service was a five, this was a three, the food was a two. That's not what you do with Jesus, y'all. It's not what you do with Jesus. Let's continue. In verse six, Paul turns the tables, and we'll get through these last verses pretty quick. I've got one minute to get done. That ain't happening. Um, Paul has pointed out the folly in this false teaching of thinking that it's all about you or following Jesus is all about financial gain. Now he gives us an alternative to a destructive belief system. He says, but godliness with contentment 
is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You know what he's saying here? Your birthday suit is also your death suit. You ain't taking nothing with you, y'all. And by the way, when you're laying on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could have got a better car and drove it. If I could have just increased my bank account by 10%, then I wouldn't have any regrets. No, you're going to be thinking, I wish I could have spent more time with the people I love. I wish I could have served people more. I wish I could have done more for the kingdom to make an impact so I could have treasures where I'm going. Continues in verse 8. Y'all still with me? Say I am. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, let these words just resonate with you in this Americanized culture. Let, let these rest on you. Listen, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Man, that's heavy. I want to make it. I want to get rich. Nothing wrong with wanting to live the American dream. Nothing wrong with wanting to prosper and take care of your family. I'm not saying this is not a poverty gospel. When you put that above Jesus and the higher calling he has in your life, it leads to ruin and destruction. In keeping with all the pictures that I found online this week, there's a famous meme called the Everything's Fine meme. And it looks like this. It's a dog sitting in his house having coffee while the house is burning down around him. Paul says this is a picture of people that want to get rich. If you make it all about money in your life, your house is going to burn down all around you, y'all. Listen, y'all. I'm going to go over here. Is everybody okay? Say amen. Let me give you some pastoral advice. I've ministered to millionaires, and I've ministered to people that don't have a pot to pee in, okay, y'all? They ain't got nothing. And what I found is, number one, if you want to get rich in here, listen to what I'm saying. Number one, no matter how much money you have, it's never enough. People that have nothing, I'm not rich. Millionaires, I'm not rich. It's never enough. Secondly, the majority of the people that I've ministered to that are more financially blessed than other people, typically, listen to me when I say this, because this is what Paul's talking about. The finances that they have enable destruction in their life. It ruins their marriage. It ruins their family. Their kids become spoiled brats. They get hooked on drugs. They never learn how to work. You better be really careful saying you want to get rich. You know what my life verse is now? I want to live a quiet, simple life. I figure if I can get to the end of my life, and I love my wife, and I love my kids, and they love me, and I hadn't screwed the pooch in some big way like having an affair or stealing money from the church or doing something stupid like that, I've been pretty successful no matter how much money I got in the bank, no matter how big the church is. That makes sense to everybody say amen. Finish verse 10. 
for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Last year we did a series, The Root of All Evil. It's not money. It's the love of money. Money is neutral. It is a tool that God gives us that we're to steward over. So don't misinterpret what I'm saying. If you have money, that's fine. You just need to make sure your attitude towards money is in check and that the spirit that you have is in check because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The reason we're teaching this today is not to be divisive. It's not to call out prosperity preachers. It's because we really don't want anybody at Revolution Church to wander from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Listen, y'all. There is no such thing as good grief, no matter what Charlie Brown says. Okay, y'all? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every person that's in here. Protect these people, God, and myself. I pray we cling to your word. I pray we, we eat this steak that you are giving us at Revolution Church. We love you. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Love you guys. See you next week. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.